So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. This is the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle, and it is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is Will Keys, as always, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. And Will, you have a birthday coming up here very soon. Do you have anything fun planned uh, that you can look forward to that our listeners might be interested in hearing about? Yeah, it's it's the big 21, so I'm heading out to San Francisco to see the Rockies-Giants game on Wednesday afternoon. Very excited to try my first beer and hopefully watch the Rockies win. <laughs> we all know that's not going to be your first beer. You just spent time abroad in Ireland, dude, where you can – it's legal to drink when you're like six. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's actually that's actually pretty true. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. This is a product and a service I use on a pretty much daily basis for those of you or those of us who don't always have the time to sit down and actually turn the pages and read books. Audible provides the opportunity, whether it's during your commutes, getting your yard work done, cooking in the kitchen, whatever it might be to get your favorite books under the belt, uh, consume them in a way that uh, allows you to multitask. And that's what I love about Audible. I've been a consistent member, I think, going back now about 18 months. So check it out. It's also a great way to help support the show. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. Now, we're here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. This show cannot grow without you. And each week, we ask that you take some time, if you've not done this before, to rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And there's a big reason for it. iTunes and Stitcher, they both have algorithms, which are based on users not only downloading and listening to the show, right, but also rating and commenting. And I want to give some props to those of you who have taken our calls to action to heart and have taken the time to, to rate and comment. It's very much appreciated. It helps us out tremendously in terms of the show being able to reach new listeners. So to each one of you tuning in right now, we ask that you take a second, rate the show on Stitcher if you're an Android user, and on iTunes if you're an Apple guy or gal. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod and at MileHighHuddle. Also, take a second and like Mile High Huddle on Facebook. We are knee-deep in the dead time on the NFL calendar, but Will and myself, along with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, who we're going to hear from here uh, in a few minutes, are not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to continue to bring you compelling Broncos content until training camp kicks off at the end of July, and you're not going to want to miss a single 
episode. Now, today we are going to focus on the AFC West, the division that now boasts the NFL's highest paid defensive player and the highest paid offensive player or player period, really. Von Miller, of course, has the richest defensive contract in the league, but the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders just made quarterback Derek Carr the highest paid player in the history of the NFL. Carr signed a five-year, $125 million contract, which included a $12.5 million signing bonus and a little over $70 million guaranteed. Now, Will, as you pointed out in the piece that you published on Friday over at milehighhuddle.com, Carr went 10-21 and 21 in his first two years as a starter before he really broke out in 2016, leading the Raiders to their first playoff berth since, I think it was 2003, when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to Tampa Bay. Now, before Carr suffered a broken leg in Week 16, of course, he had the Raiders poised to, to win the division, sitting at 12-3. and three. He was a legitimate MVP candidate, and honestly, 2017, it would have been the final year of his contract, so it made sense for the Raiders. It behooved them for the front office to get a deal done rather than take the kind of Washington Redskins approach with Kirk Cousins and franchise tag him to the point of aggravation. Now, there are a few things that I want to break down about this contract and, of course, the overall ramifications, but, Will, what's your immediate gut reaction to the Derek Carr deal? Yeah, so it's it's a monster deal, but I guess my my take overall is that they didn't really have any other choice. Like what, what else could they have done? You know, there's such a shortage of quarterbacks pretty much at all times in the NFL that they really have – they have almost all of the leverage in negotiations with their front offices. You know, there's never more than, I don't know, and it's kind of up for debate, but there's never more than like 13, 14, or 15 franchise quarterbacks that you'll hang your hat on and that you're comfortable paying long-term. And, and Derek Carr, you know, he's not he's not the best quarterback in the league, even though he's being paid like it. And that's just kind of, you know, that's a product of the evolving quarterback market. Yep. But if you have that guy, even after three years – you have to pay him. You have to pay him. There's no getting around it, and it's gonna. It's it's kind of a sinkhole uh, that it creates for the rest of your roster. But right. you don't have any other choice. That's kind of the reality of the NFL right now. Well, and as you posited in the piece, Will, perhaps last year was Oakland's best opportunity to actually make some hay while the sun was shining with Derek Carr. They had him on a relatively team-friendly rookie contract, paying him second-round money. Khalil Mack, the reigning Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, was still on his rookie deal, which hasn't changed yet. The Raiders were able to allocate a huge portion of their cap over the last couple of years in three elite-level offensive linemen in Rodney Hudson, Kelechi Assembly, and, of course, Donald Penn. We saw how a dominant offensive line can impact the course of a game in that disappointing Week 9 loss on uh, Sunday Night Football, where the Raiders basically ran roughshod over the Broncos' defense. Now... Add to that Marshawn Lynch, and it becomes even more grim for the Broncos to defend. But the Oakland defense uh, was far from dominant, but they had most of the pieces in place, or a lot of the pieces in place anyway, to at the very least complement their explosive offense. Had Derek Carr not gotten hurt, there's a good chance that they would have made some noise in the playoffs rather than going out with a whimper under Connor Cook. But it's kind of like getting back to what you talked about in the piece, Will. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to accomplish a decade ago with Ben Roethlisberger, the Seahawks did it in 2013 and 2014 with Russell Wilson, and even now the Dallas Cowboys have the opportunity with Dak Prescott. The Raiders had 
that chance to catch lightning in a bottle and compete for a world championship with an upper echelon quarterback on the cheap. Now, those teams were able to invest in other areas of the roster to build that complete team while the quarterback was making relative peanuts. It's one of those, and you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, it's kind of one of those be careful what you wish for scenarios because every team needs and wants and covets an elite quarterback. That's the priority number one cornerstone for every NFL franchise. But once you get one, you have to pay him. So you'd better have what that means to me You'd better have a great GM who can find diamonds in the rough on draft uh, draft day. Keep the roster stocked with cheap impact players, or else you end up with a top-heavy roster like the Peyton Manning Colts of yesteryear. The Colts, you know, they got over the hump once, but year after year, they would dominate the regular season only to fail in the playoffs just really because of lack of depth and overall just the roster was never well-rounded. The Broncos got it done, I think, Will, making it to those two Super Bowls and, of course, winning one with Peyton because John Elway did a phenomenal job in personnel acquisition, whether it was via the draft or with you know impact or value-free agents. And I've always respected Oakland GM Reggie McKenzie, but it remains to be seen whether he can follow suit with Carr uh, in ter- you know, now that he's making the big bucks. And Khalil Mack, of course, will poise to make that Von Miller money soon. Yeah, and I think Khalil Mack's probably going to have to – they're going to have to pay him post-Von Miller money. So Von Miller's making a little over $20 million a year, and they're going to have to pay him more because, you know, I don't know if you and I would agree with it, but a lot of the league sees Khalil Mack uh, as a better player than Von Miller, and he's got the hardware to back it up, uh, yeah. winning Defensive Player of the Year last year. Whether yeah. or not you and I agree with that, which you know, we probably we're, we're a little biased, but uh, I, don't, I don't know Indeed. if we do agree. No. But getting back to the quarterback situation, it's it's a total catch twenty two because you need a quarterback to if you want to compete year after year. You know, we talk about the Broncos won the Super Bowl uh, without an elite level starting quarterback, and. You know, it's a great story, but it's an anomaly, and it's not going to happen every year, and you can't rely on that model. Yep. So you need you need to – if you are lucky enough to get a quarterback uh, who's, who's a talent like Derek Carr, like Russell Wilson, like Ben Roethlisberger was early in his career, you need to capitalize while he's on his rookie contract, especially with quarterbacks uh, – like Carr and Wilson, who are, who are paid as second-round and third-round players. Right, they didn't have the fifth-year options. Right, right. And, you know, the Steelers got that with Roethlisberger. You know, and the Washington Redskins, too. We, we see how, you know, that's going. They've had to franchise them two years in a row because they didn't have that fifth-round option either. Right. But uh, the Broncos the Broncos won in 2015, not completely, but a big reason why is because John L.A. convinced Peyton Manning to take a pay cut. And that allowed them that allowed them to, you know, round out their offensive line with guys like Evan Mathis. Yeah. But I think the reason that he was able to do that is because the Broncos won in 97 and 98 kind of because Elway did the same thing and he took a pay cut. That allowed them to sign Neil Smith and get a guy like mm-hmm. Howard Griffith who helped helped out Terrell Davis. And I think, you know, Elway probably relied on that experience when he was trying to talk Manning into uh, dropping that number from, I think, what was it, 18 19, or 19 million? 19 uh, down to – 16 well, or 17. He dropped it from 19 to 15, and then he had those two $2 million escalators. But the question, you know, so he ended up by winning the Super Bowl, getting back to 19. But as as you talked about in that piece uh, Friday, only 17.5 of how they structured the payment to Manning actually counted against that 2015 year salary cap. Right, right. and that's, that's a big advantage. If you could, if that's, 
you know, the difference between signing Evan Mathis in the preseason and not being able to get him and relying on, you know, uh, rookie Max Garcia throughout the season, that's yeah. a big deal. And that's that's potentially worth a couple of games swinging, especially, especially in a season where so many games came down to, you know, one or two possessions. Let's compare this with the, the Derek Carr uh, signing, or not signing, but extension, to Denver's situation, as you kind of did in your written piece, Will. The Broncos, of course, I mean, you look at it on paper, and there's not many uh, analysts who would say it's not a loaded roster. It's balanced. It's deep at key positions, with only a couple of exceptions. The only thing really missing is a bona fide quarterback. And we keep talking about the development of Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch, but the Super Bowl window is still open for the Broncos. It's not like Oakland situation where they were rebuilding and could afford to let Derek Carr go through the trial and error process as a starter for a couple years. The Broncos are set up to win now, which will certainly impact the coach's decisions on who wins the starting job. But still, the Broncos can't get it done without an upper echelon quarterback, in my mind, Will. And I'm still of the opinion that if the Broncos want Paxton Lynch to develop into that type of franchise quarterback that Derek Carr is, they're going to have to play him come what may. Now, the caveat, of course, is that if Trevor Simeon is leaps and bounds better than Paxton Lynch during training camp in the preseason, you can't just grandfather Lynch into the starting lineup because you do that at the risk of losing the belief and, and emotional investment of your veterans. So really, the onus is on Lynch to at least be as consistent as Simeon. And if he can, the Broncos have to rip off the Band-Aid, and this is my opinion, start him and let the chips fall. Because even if it takes a few weeks for Lynch to acclimate to a starter's life in the pros, the Broncos have the roster around the quarterback and the defense, of course, to pick up much of that slack. Now, on the flip side, you could make a similar argument for Simeon. Um, if the Broncos want to win now and they want to capitalize on that roster, etc., Simeon is the most ready to play. And I know that kind of tends to, to be where your analysis flows most of the time, Will, but can Simeon be the difference maker that gets him over the hump? That's For me, that's where I have some misgivings about Trevor Simeon. Well, there's a couple of things that need to happen. Uh, they need to be better up front. Obviously, they were pretty poor last year, and I think Trevor Simeon did a good job, all things considered, yeah. and they need to run the ball a little bit better. So if they can do those two things, uh, and if you get kind of an incremental improvement from Trevor Simeon from year two to year three, then I, I think that I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if they're good enough to win the Super Bowl in year three with Trevor Simeon, but I think they're a playoff team if those two, maybe three things happen. Yeah. But then we think about with Paxton Lynch, and this is kind of what the Broncos ran into with Brock Osweiler. If you don't know what you have by the time uh, a quarterback's rookie contract runs out, and Osweiler's a little different because they didn't have that fifth round option. But if you don't know what you have by the time that first contract expires, you're kind of just throwing out money into the dark. And the Broncos did get lucky that the Texans offered Osweiler more. <laughs> but at some point, you do have to see what you have with Lynch before you commit to him in the future. And that's where the whole Trevor Simeon monkey ranch comes into yeah. play because I don't think the Broncos. I don't think the Broncos counted on that when they drafted Paxton Lynch. I almost, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I almost wish the Broncos wouldn't have drafted Paxton Lynch because if they hadn't, not only would there not be this quarterback controversy, but Trevor Simeon would have, I mean, he has a lot of the skill set and talents that, that are required to play quarterback at the pro level. We can sit and debate, 
you know, uh, whether he has the type of ceiling as some of the more elite players in, in the league do. But Trevor Simeon, you know, if it was between him and Kyle Sloter and all that, I mean, it, it would be a much easier path. There'd be a lot less noise around the team. And the Broncos could just kind of go about their business almost as if uh, they had signed Brock Osweiler. He would have been the no-brainer uh, successor to Peyton Manning and things would have just moved forward if Osweiler would have stuck around. But now with Trevor Simeon, the Broncos, again, they're back in that that controversy which creates so much drama creates so much scrutiny detracts from what the team is trying to accomplish as a collective you throw Paxton Lynch now into that and who knows maybe he'll go on to to make everyone uh grateful that the Denver Broncos took that you know traded up to get him in the first round and all that maybe that day will come but right now it's like we're still waiting for that that defining moment for Paxton Lynch to throw right, down right. the gauntlet and say, yo, dude, this is my team. I'm the first rounder back off Trev. I, I find myself also kind of thinking that same thing that I, I wish they had never drafted Paxton Lynch, even though you know that I love Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch when he was at Memphis. I, I watched that old miss game and I kind of just fell in love with them after that, as yeah. I think a lot of people did. But at the same time, what would we have to talk about? The, the yeah. Denver Broncos taken industry would absolutely collapse. And <laughs> I, I don't know if we would be able to survive that type of situation. It certainly so is I'm, fun. To spit ball yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what we're going to do in the next couple episodes, including today, we're going to go around the AFC West, kind of like the eye of Sauron. We're going to peer into every nook and cranny of the Broncos division rivals. We'll factor in their respective draft halls, free agent classes, Figure out exactly what the state of the AFC West is. And we're going to get to the Oakland Raiders here today. But first, let me holler at you about being a Mile High Huddle premium member. Every week, Mile High Huddle saves our most analytical content for our premium members, whether it's something a little bit more long form uh, or a film review, some X's and O's. We're doing film room breakdowns right now on each of the Broncos' eight draft picks. And in fact, only one... Uh, remains cornerback Brandon Langley that we haven't gotten to yet for our, our members. Will did an insightful film study on fifth round tight end Jake Butt last week, I believe, for our premium members. And this is the type of content that we save for our subscribers. The news stories, those are always going to be free to all. But the in-depth analysis and any insider information we pick up along the way is going to be reserved for our premium members. And here's how it works. You have two options. You can sign up for a monthly membership, which costs five bucks per month, or you can go annual, which costs $49 for the year. So by going annual, you save 11 bucks annually or for the year, whatever. And from there, you get access to all our premium content, including our members-only message boards. So as a site, we also give back to you as a member. You get benefits such as 10% off on all sporting tickets, including the Broncos, through Ticket Monster, as well as 10% off on Broncos team merchandise through Fanatics. So the best way to support Mile High Huddle and also huddle up is to go premium. It's what allows us to continue to bring you what we believe is the most in-depth, objective Broncos analysis on the web. So go to milehighhuddle.com, click the Join button in the top menu bar, and sign up. We love you. We appreciate you. All right, let's talk about the Oakland Raiders here. Now, Jack Del Rio, of course, remains the head coach with Ken Norton Jr. as defensive coordinator. One of their gets of the offseason is they picked up former Chargers defensive coordinator John Pagano, uh, to be kind of a defensive coach uh, slash assistant head coach to Del Rio. 
to me, that's a huge get. Um, but the, the Raiders also let former offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave go in order to promote QB's coach Todd Downing to the position. Now, Musgrave, who was an integral part uh, to, to the development of Derek Carr, ended up getting hired by the Broncos to be assistant head coach and to help coach up the quarterbacks. With a 12-4 and record going back to 2016, Oakland finished second in the AFC West behind the Chiefs, and then they had seven Raiders uh, voted to the Pro Bowl. Derek Carr, receiver Amari Cooper, center Rodney Hudson, uh, guard Kelechi Assembly, tackle Donald Penn, and then two defenders, uh, Khalil Mack and safety Reggie Nelson. Now, most NFL talking heads uh, view Oakland as the team to beat in the AFC West this year with a healthy uh, Derek Carr. What I'm interested in, Will, is this whole Musgrave dynamic, though. I've been told that Downing, who, you know, he's the younger coach, he's got more upward mobility, a little bit more momentum, was the real difference maker in Carr's development. But I've also been told by people who know that Musgrave was the key. And now the Broncos have Musgrave in Denver along with Mike McCoy. And the Broncos need as much quarterback knowledge and coaching and tutelage as they can get. Right. So the thing about Bill Musgrave, and, you know, we can debate which coach is responsible for his development because, you know, we don't really know. I think the only guys that do know that are the guys inside the building in Oakland. But if you look at it, Derek Carr got better pretty incrementally every year from from year one until until he broke his leg at the end of last season. Um, But he had a good rookie season. They didn't win very much, but statistically he looked good and he beat out Matt Schaub in the preseason, which I don't know. I don't know how hard that was to do. <laughs> but, then, but then he got he got better his second year. They weren't winning quite as consistently, but they jumped jumped up from three and thirteen to seven and nine. So you have to say that's a market market improvement. And and they beat Denver on the road. Yeah, I was at that game, so uh, that was that was a tough one to swallow. Owie. Uh yeah, I know. Um year three, he's an MVP candidate too. You know that's not that's that's pretty rare that you can that you can progress a guy that steadily and that evenly over the course of year three, and that's kind of you know what every coach dreams about when they yeah. draft a quarterback. You know he's a rookie. You know we feel him out his first year, second year. You know we're winning some more games statistically. He's he's getting a lot better, and then the third year is he's an MVP candidate. That's exactly what you what you draw out when you draft a guy like that. So if we can get anything close to that with either of the quarterbacks, I think that's, that's a huge get. That's a huge get for yeah. the Broncos. Yeah, I'm really excited about how Musgrave can make an impact on the Broncos quarterback situation. We're going to get a lot, a much closer look when the Broncos kick off training camp, which I believe is July 24th uh, on a Thursday. And you know, we'll we'll get to see him in action. We'll get to see the preseason games between he and McCoy. I I, I think the quarterbacks and and this isn't to take anything away from Gary Kubiak, but it goes back to that uh, that difference in paradigm where it's about fitting the system uh, to the player's strengths rather than the reverse. And I think that's gonna just suit where the Broncos are right now at the position with these young guys. They need coaches who can be flexible and who can make the most out of what they bring to the table right now. But on paper, you look at the Raiders, 
they are formidable. There's no doubt. I mean, this is uh, this is an impressive team. But how did they do in free agency, and how did they do in the draft? We'll tackle free agency first. And really, the the number one thing to take away here was the acquisition of Marshawn Lynch uh, via trade from Seattle. So he came out of retirement. Now he's back playing in his hometown in Oakland. That's a huge get if he's anywhere close to resembling the same form that he was in when he quote unquote retired. Oakland also signed former Dolphins linebacker Jelani Jenkins, uh, backup quarterback and former Bills first-rounder E.J. Manuel, former Packers and Rams tight end Jared Cook, former Vikings wideout and return specialist Cordero Patterson, offensive tackle Marshall Newhouse. And so that's where Oakland gained talent. But, Will, check out the free agent exodus that Oakland suffered. This is this is where I think as as the team has to have some concerns. Of course, they lost Menelik Watson, uh, who was a starter when healthy, took his talents to Denver. The Raiders lost two former starters in the secondary in safety, Nate Allen, and uh, former top 15 pick DJ Hayden, a cornerback. They lost receiver Andre Holmes, who always seemed to show up against the Broncos for whatever reason. Uh, Matt McGloin, the quarterback, is gone. Defensive tackle Stacey McGee is gone. Starting linebacker and Super Bowl 48 MVP Malcolm Smith, gone. And then number one running back Latavius Murray is gone, but Marshawn Lynch should solve that problem. And then they lost one of their role-playing tight ends, Michael Rivera. So there was a few other role players that, that Oakland lost in free agency, but all in, you look at it from the surface, they lost four former starters on defense, three key offensive skill position players. And so, Will, you look at that. Before we get to the draft hall, what's your gut reaction on the key additions and departures in free agency, your takeaways? Yeah, so... The Marshawn Lynch thing is still kind of a mystery to me, and I don't, you know, I don't know what to expect, and I don't think anybody does, because his last year in Seattle was so bizarre. He played, you know, he was hurt, and he, when he played, he, he played all right, probably not up to his usual standard. And then there, there was that one game I think against Chicago where he, he didn't come out of the tunnel until like the second quarter. So who knows what you're going to get in Oakland with him? But moving past that, I think the big priority for them was the secondary and that kind of became apparent when Brock Osweiler lit them up in the in the wild card game and anytime you're getting lit up by Brock Osweiler at any point in the season you know that you have a few <laughs> holes to plug yeah and, you, better, and the, you better double check that situation right you, you gotta you gotta address that pretty quickly you know Sean Smith who was the prize of their free agent class uh, a year ago at least defensively got abused by DeAndre Hopkins and so did David Amerson and they they addressed that in the draft so we'll talk about that when Carl comes on but another thing that that kind of stuck out to me was they fell apart when they lost Derek Carr and and then after that when they lost Matt McGloin even further I don't know how far they're going with McGloin even but so Matt McGloin leaves he signs with the Philadelphia Eagles and they pick up EJ Manuel as a second quarterback behind Carr and I don't know I don't know what you think but I don't think EJ Manuel is is as good as Matt McGloin. And I think that was a big area that they needed to address. They absolutely fell off when they lost when they lost Derek Carr. They were lost. Yeah. And they didn't fix that. And they got worse, I think. So so many eggs are in that car basket now. Yep. And that's the issue with Oakland right now is just being top heavy uh at the quarterback position. It's all and, and really that's you know that's the crux of the NFL is you know, it's an it's a quarterback league, and the Broncos. If you try and look at the bright side, with even though right now there's we're we're lacking clarity on the quarterback position, 
the Broncos do have the balance and the depth of roster to keep this team in games week in and week out without the quarterback absolutely lighting it up. Now you add a proficient and difference-making quarterback to that equation, and the sky's the limit. The Denver Broncos will be a very hard team to beat um, once they get their quarterback or if they get their quarterback situation uh, stabilized. But you talk about McGloin leaving and then bringing back uh, or bringing in, I should say, E.J. Manuel. What does that say about Connor Cook? Because, I mean, Derek Carr, yeah, he suffered that that leg injury late in the season, but he hadn't struggled with injuries up, up until that point. And Connor Cook was taken relatively high in the draft. I mean, he wasn't a first-rounder, but they invested in him. It's kind of a referendum a little bit on, I think, what they saw from Connor Cook in his two starts last year. Yeah, that was a bizarre situation dating back to the to the 2016 draft. He was in the same class with um, with Goff, Wentz, and then Paxton Lynch, and then Dak Prescott. And people thought that you know he was an option for the Broncos at the end of the first round. If you'll remember, he was kind of seen pretty widely as like a consensus, if not first round, then yeah. top 40, 45 pick. And he was getting and mocked he, to the Broncos quite often. Yeah, absolutely. And they obviously they ended up going with Lynch, but he fell to the fourth round and it wasn't for any, uh, you know, there wasn't any like glaring hole in his game necessarily. I don't know if he has a great arm, but he had some, some real leadership issues at Michigan State. You know, there's that whole storyline about never being voted as a captain. And no one came uh, to his birthday party or whatever. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I think you might be confusing that with a certain Kevin Costner movie. I was just going to say that, dude. It's like... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that happened with Connor Cook, too. I was just going to say that as I'm confusing it with, uh, with draft day. But the reason I did is I actually had somebody who uh, is knows their, no, their Michigan State Spartans compare... Right. You know, you talk about uh, Connor Cook, his leadership, his character, and all that. Compare him to the mythical, the fictional, I should say, Bo Callahan from that movie. Right, and you know, Bo Callahan might have ended up being a better pick for the Raiders in the fourth round. Uh, but anytime you have a quarterback that's being compared to to the villain uh, in a Kevin Costner movie, I think you have problems. Well put. Well put. Well, let's look at their cap space real quick before we we get to the draft hall and bring Carl in. Now, according to SpotTrack, the Raiders have $17.8 million in still available cap space after paying Carr. That kind of surprised me when I, when I researched it. They have the 12th most, in fact, cap space in the NFL, with the Broncos checking in at 22nd, who currently have $11.5 million in available cap. And again, this is according to SpotTrack. Now, the league average is $18.8 million right now in, in available cap. Every year... NFL teams, you know, they try to reserve a little cap space uh, for the end of the preseason or training camp when the injury bug tends to strike. And we saw, as you talked about Evan Mathis a few minutes ago, we saw the Broncos do it in 2015. Um, And the Raiders, you know, they can afford to sign a couple of guys with that kind of money if the need calls for it. But Khalil Mack, you know, he's still waiting to get paid. He's a 2014 first-round pick, number five overall. And this is a guy, Will Mack, entering his fourth year, but the Raiders just extended his fifth-year option. So really, we can talk about, hey, Oakland's going to have to pay Mac pretty soon too, but they really don't have to do anything until after the 2018 season at the latest. They could always extend him earlier, but the Oakland Raiders have time. And honestly, if you look at their cap space from 10,000 feet, their, their salary cap situation as it is today, it doesn't look as dire as you might think following the car contract. No, it, it doesn't yet. 
uh, but once I think they do have to pay Mac, and they're gonna have to pay Mac, you know, if they if they wait, because you know, if you're the front office, and this is different from Mac's perspective, you want to try to sign him as early as you can, because that number, the longer you wait, that number is only gonna get higher and higher. And if you think about how much the Broncos paid Von Miller last off season, yeah, and people tend tend to see Mac as a better player or at least someone that's on pal- on par with Von Miller. They're going to have to pay him pretty close to what they paid Derek Carr, which is around 25 million a year. That's a good point. And I I'm not I'm not a big math guy as as you know, but if you think about Derek Carr and Khalil Mack and you put their two sa- annual salaries together, you're getting close to about a third of the overall cap for your team. So you have Hmm. nearly a third of your cap space tied into two players and the other two uh, tied into the remaining 49 players that count towards your cap. I don't, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a great situation to be in, but you know, at the same time, what do you do? Like, it's a good problem to have, but you can't, you know, you can't just kick Khalil Mack to the curb. And it's funny. You think back, I remember, uh, I don't, recall exactly off the top of my head I maybe should have researched this before the the show but that year they were they signed um Charles Woodson back um from Green Bay they had so much cap space and they after a decade of sustained failure in the AFC West they could not recruit a top line uh free agent to save their lives I mean let's face it Chuck Wood returned as a sentimental. I mean, the Broncos actually tried to sign Charles Woodson, for those who might remember. The Broncos pursued Charles Woodson in free agency and actually offered him more money than Oakland, but he chose to re-sign with Oakland where he began his career to kind of complete the circle, so to speak. But there was a time there where, I don't remember the exact figures off the top of my head, but they had sixty, seventy thousand bucks, kind of like what the San Francisco 49ers uh, are have have uh, had available to him this this time around in cap space, but they just couldn't recruit any free agents. And then the dominoes began to fall after they got Del Rio. You saw Rodney Hudson sign, and then pretty soon, you know, things started coalescing, and here we are today. And I just think overall, right now, that the Raiders still, you know, we can talk about how they're getting into that zone where. They lost the opportunity to compete for a world championship with a quarterback on the cheap. But their cap space, I think this year, if this draft class, and we'll find out more about that here in a few minutes, and their free agent class can make an impact, Oakland still has a great chance to strike while the iron's hot before they have to pay Khalil Mack, before they have to pay other guys on the offensive line. Right. I think I should clarify that I don't think their window for winning a championship is closed whatsoever. But when you're paying Derek Carr that much, he has to be worth it. He can't turn into, you know, like we saw with Joe Flacco or, you know, mm. Colin Kaepernick, because that sets you back a long way. And we see <clears throat> we saw what happened with the with the Baltimore Ravens after they, they were basically forced to pay Joe Flacco at that time the highest contract in NFL history yep. and then subsequently missing the playoffs for three out of the next four years. That's kind of a part of the catch twenty two. So if you if you do have to pay him that much, you can survive if he is you know living up to what his contract um, 
kind of place how his contract places him in relation to the other quarterbacks, which if you think about it, he has to play like a top five quarterback for it to be worth it. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the draft. The Raiders took nine players, and we're going to actually welcome in Mile High Huddle Analyst and one of Huddle Up's very own co-hosts, the man himself, Carl Dumler, to help us break down Oakland's draft class. Carl, how are you, my friend? Thanks for joining us. I am doing great. It is a, a beautiful Saturday here, and my family and I have done nothing but relax, so it's it's been a good day. That's my type of Saturday. Now, Carl, along with Nick Kendall and Eric Trickle, they invest a ton of time into scouting the college ranks with an eye, of course, toward the NFL draft. Now, Will and I, we have our opinions, but far be it from us to to label ourselves officially draft nicks. Carl is, however, uh, in fact, one of the most knowledgeable draft analysts in Broncos country, and we wanted to tap into that that knowledge base, that draft brain for this segment. Now, Carl and Nick, uh, for those of you who remember, did a deep dive on the AFC West, uh, the draft halls back, I think it was early May. But as Will and I go around the AFC West, we thought we'd better get Carl on the horn, revisit this issue again. So getting back to the Raiders, again, nine players drafted this past spring. They are as follows. In the first round, they took cornerback Gary and Conley out of Ohio State. Second round, they took safety O.B. Melifonwu out of Connecticut. Third round, they took defensive lineman Eddie Vanderdoes. I don't even know how you say that, Carl. I think it's Vanderdoes. Vanderdoes, thank you, out of UCLA. Fourth round, tackle David Sharp out of Florida. Fifth round, linebacker Markel Lee out of Wake Forest. And then they had four seventh-round picks. Safety Shalom Luani from Washington State, another tackle. Um, Jillian Ware out of Alabama State. Running back Elijah Hood, North Carolina. And then last, defensive tackle Trayvon Hester out of Toledo. So right off the bat... Obviously, Oakland made it a priority to bolster that kind of fledgling secondary that we saw. They lost quite a bit of talent in the free agent, uh, their free agent departures. So you got Gary and Conley, who has some major off-the-field troubles. Considered, from what I understand, Carl, and we'll get your take on this, to be one of the top corners in this draft class. Safety, Obi Melifonwu. I mean, he broke the NFL scouting combine with his workout. And then uh, Vander, what is it, Vander does? Vander Dose, my bad. Vander Dose, there you go, yep. And then Vanderdose uh, helps their defensive interior. So, Carl, we can go through each pick if we need to, but let me just ask you this. In your mind, did the Raiders kind of jump the shark in taking Conley that early, considering this off-the-field drama, or was he just one of these guys that was so good that he was worth the risk? I've been told there was a lot of teams that were very shocked the Raiders took him this high because they were not as comfortable with – the whole off the field issues and that he was going to be found innocent. You know, the Raiders kept, you know, saying after the draft, Oh, we're not even worried about that, but I've seen the story begin to change and you know, what's all developed and what all happened and his story. I, I don't know. It's, it's a whole mess. And so up, up, to me, update our listeners on what that story is, like what he was involved in. Well, the, the, the story goes um, that he was out clubbing with some friends and went up to his hotel room and had invited this girl Supposedly, when they were in the in um, the elevator, to come up and be a part of a very bad party. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how to exactly word that sure, <laughs> to sure. make it radio we, friendly yeah, here. We, but earmuffs, um, children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he kind of denied that any of this all happened, and and now it's come out that he says, well, something did happen, but it was all you know consensual, on the up and up. Yeah, everybody agreed to it, all that kind of stuff, and. 
So it's, it's a whole mess. Um, should have never put himself in that position. You know, you're a couple weeks from the draft and that's what you could decide to go do. Like you got to know people are out there to get you. So I, I don't know how it's all going to play out. It, it seems pretty quiet right now. Yeah. I thought, I thought the timing was a little, it was, it was definitely poor timing for Conley, but I don't think it's shocking that a, that the Raiders end up being the team that take a chance on him late in the first round, but kind of moving to a more on the field perspective on Conley. How much do you think that he benefited from playing in that Ohio state secondary where he had for, uh, fellow first round picks, Marshawn Lattimore and Malik hooker kind of helping him out. You know, honestly, I think he held his own very well. Um, you know, they put him on an Island a lot. They, they did that to both their, their corners with Lattimore and, and him and allowed their safeties just to kind of roam around and, and go make plays. And so that, in that sense, I think he actually is a very good player, only allowed a 37% completion rate mm. throwing his direction. Um, you know, so he's, he's a very strong corner. He fits the size speed combo that you're looking for. The, the big thing that I have against this pick, at least for on the field, he played a lot of press man corner. The, mm-hmm. the Raiders don't play that a whole lot. They're, they're more of an off-ball, man-zone coverage kind of person, and that's not his game. He doesn't have the hips to really flip and, and go once the guy kind of gets to him 10 yards out or whatever. He's not really a, a downhill come and make a play, you know, like you see with Tlaib all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and they did the same thing with Sean Smith. When they got him, I had Raiders fans telling me left and right, oh, man, this is a huge signing. We just hurt one of our rivals, and we just got a great player. And right. I said he's a great player, but I don't think he's a great fit. And he struggled. Yep. So that, that's my big thing. Why I don't exactly like this pick. I'm not as high as as some others on this. And, one. and really quick, where do you think he does fit in with David Amerson and Sean Smith on the outside? Well, I mean, he played pretty much mostly on the outside. He did play a little bit of nickel on the inside there in the slot, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's a great fit there either. Like I said, with his hips being a little bit tighter, you know, you need those those hips to be able to flip either way. And so I, I could see him really struggling if they put him in that slot position. Now, my depth of knowledge when it comes to this draft class is, you know, it's pretty surface. I mean, I'll put that out on the front level. It's it's pretty surface knowledge when I know about this group. But if I were to say my personal favorite, if I look at that draft hall the Raiders uh, got this year, what jumps out to me is the safety in the second round, Melifonwu. For you, Carl, personally, what was your favorite Raiders draft pick? And then conversely, of course, what do you think was their worst when you look at that uh, that draft hall? I would actually go the the third round with Eddie Vanderdose, defensive tackle of UCLA. You know, if, if I had one way of describing the Raiders draft, it's very high risk, high reward, boom bust, whatever you want to call it. Um, because a lot of these guys, they have some issues. And, and Vanderdose's was that he had a torn ACL and missed the, pretty much the entire 2015 season. And then 2016, he comes back and he didn't look all that good. He looked slow, looked out of shape, put on a lot of weight, you know, just not that same player that showed promise um, back in 2014. Hmm. And but I've heard when he got to the senior bowl, he had lost some weight and had really gotten some of his explosion back, showed that power, that speed um, that was really starting to show up earlier. And so I could see that being a really good pick and one he's going to get starting experience right off the bat. You know, they lost two guys in Stacey McGee and Dan Williams. Right. Uh, and, you know, they, they need somebody up the middle to be that run stuffer to really, you know, be able to take on those double teams. And so, yeah, I think that's going to be a good pick for them. We've, we've kind of seen that with our own guy, Adam Gotsis, where it takes a little while after a torn ACL 
it, there's kind of a buffer year in between where you kind of have to get back in shape, uh, lose a little bit of weight after having having to rehab for so long. But Carl, give us a little sleeper here, whether it's you know one of the one of the first few selections, a, a mid or, or a late round pick, or whoever. Who do you think is going to pay huge dividends? Kind of you know that no one's talking about for the Raiders. I'm going to go a really really far down guy here in the seventh round, actually. Mm. I know. Uh, Jillian, Jillian Ware, off, offensive tackle of Alabama State. He was not a guy I talked about a whole lot. You know, he kind of, honestly, for, for my radar, he only came on the radar about two weeks before the draft. Somebody had said, hey, has anybody heard of this guy? And so everybody was trying to find tape on this kid. And he has very good athleticism. He's very, has very good feet. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Sambrello of, of of great feet. Needs to add some strength. Needs to work on technique. But he's he's kind of a two year project. But that kind of works out well with Donald Penn. Right. You know, you kind of expect that's when he's going to about fall off. And so I could see this guy actually kind of working his way and and getting that two years of of practice and seeing some of the top guys. I mean, he's got you know good mentors in and Donald Penn and and others to to really show him how to really improve himself. And he has time to add that muscle without having to tear up his body too much. So yeah. that, that's one I like. So they lost Menelik Watson, as we talked about earlier in the show, of course, to the Broncos. But as you mentioned, Donald Penn, and I would I, I hadn't researched this, but I assume Austin Howard returns for right tackle. But they do need some depth, which is why they ended up, I guess, taking two tackles in this class. Yeah, and, and I'm not very good. I'm not very high on David Sharp. Um, you'd kind of ask a little bit earlier about my least favorite pick. That's right. probably it. Okay. He uh, – he is a monster of a man. Behemoth is what I like to call him. 357 pounds, but he doesn't have very good movement. I mean, he's about as stiff as they come for an offensive tackle from Florida. Hmm. Um, you know, he's he's late getting off the ball sometimes. He actually, this was reported, and, and he denies it, but I, there's enough people out there saying this is true. He is almost blind in his right eye. Wow. And so they were saying that sometimes causes him some issues of getting off the ball. You know, of, of having to watch, you know, you got to keep your eye on the ball to see when it snapped, all that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, so I, I could see him. He's probably going to have to move inside to me. And so that was one of those picks. I'm like, what? You know, your biggest need is on the offensive line is right tackle. And this guy doesn't really fit that all that well. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of that one. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm higher on their other offensive tackle from the seventh round. So right, right, and guard, guard is the strength of that offensive line far and away. Well you know, they have Roddy, Roddy Center, Roddy Hudson at center, and then they have this Colecchio Semley over at left guard, and they still have to pay Gabe Jackson, who's turning into one of the best guards. So it, it is kind of kind of a head scratcher to pick a tackle who they would eventually have to move inside that high in the draft. Right. Yeah, I, I agree, and so that's. Like I said, that's why it's my least favorite pick because I don't really see him getting on the field unless there's quite a few injuries. Now, this is kind of a big picture question, and you've touched on it a little bit, but as someone who knows the college ranks, we want to know how you feel overall about the Raiders' uh, 2017 draft hall. You can grade it if you want, but as Will and I talked about earlier in the show, with the Raiders allocating so much of their cap now to Derek Carr, and they're soon going to have to follow suit with Khalil Mack. They're going to have to pay Gabe Jackson, as Will just mentioned. I mean, they need this crop of rookies, along with the last couple of draft classes, to make an impact if they're going to sustain this competitive level of football that we saw last year. In your mind, Carl, do you think they did that in 2017? 
I don't think they're going to get as much immediate return on this draft as as they would hope. Like I said, I think Vanderdose will start, and I think Conley will. I mean, he's got to find his way to the field. You know, you don't spend a first round pick on a guy and not, you know, unless you know it's a quarterback and and they need some time to develop. But yeah. um, Obi Melifonwu, he's he's more athlete than football player right now, and he'll get some time on the field, but he just he's slow in reaction. And I think the game's going to be very, very fast for him to start off with. So I think he's going to need a he's going to need a year. So for that secondary that struggled last year, I don't know if you really did enough to really improve it. Um, Conley helps, but you know it's just like I said, I don't know how great of a fit he is for their team. So he's going to struggle just to kind of get used to playing more off ball, and and unless they change up their defense, which I don't see Del Rio doing. He's kind of a a stickler for his system works kind of kind of guy. And we saw that in Denver for a couple years. Right. The Raiders took Carl Joseph, who was another safety in the first round of last year's draft. How do you think he, he did in his first year? I thought he, he did well to, you know, especially in the year, you know, he started out really struggling a lot, um, missed some tackles, you know, just was late develop, you know, getting to a play, all that kind of stuff. But he, he really came on strong as the season went on. I do question a little bit of moving forward. He is small for his position and especially for the way that he plays. You know, he is a big time hitter, wants to go make a big play, all those kind of things. And, you know, he's he's very small for that. So I, I worry he's going to have a little bit of wear and tear. He's already shown that in college with some injury concerns. I mean, that's why he dropped in the draft a little bit. Yeah. And uh, but I, I think, yeah, I think he could be a, a big boost for them this year. You know, I think he could be that that playmaker that they they really need on that secondary. Well, this is uh, the insight from a true draft nick on the Raiders draft class. Now, for those who missed it, Carl did an excellent film breakdown on Broncos six round running back D'Angelo Henderson last week. Carl also broke down second rounder Demarcus Walker a little bit. I don't know a few weeks before that, but Carl, for the listeners and of course Mile High Huddle members and readers. What do you have in the works? What what can everybody look forward to in your next published article? Well, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on a, another player here. Um, I am focusing on Menelik Watson and doing a little bit of breakdown of what he could bring to the team if he can stay healthy. You know, yeah. that's always been his big question mark. But, you know, just to see what, what kind of player we got in him. Can he be a real true upgrade at the right tackle position, which <laughs> um, isn't hard to do with what we yeah. had last year. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but but no, I just wanted to take a look at him and just kind of see what he might bring to the table. And, and if he could be one of those great, you know, value signings that Elway does so great with. Well, absolutely. We appreciate you joining us, Carl. That's all the time we have for today's show. Look forward to that piece on Menelik Watson. It'll be the first time we've actually addressed him in a film breakdown uh, at Mile High Huddle this year. So look forward to that. Find Carl on Twitter, at Carl Dummler, MHH. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, and myself, at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions, and we will try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, for Carl, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. 
So try the Stretch and Flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers.